Baba Yaga, come at night, little children sleep it tight. Baba Yaga, give you bite, lay in bed, don't be afraid. Okay, it has been quite some time, but welcome back to Ben and Matt's marvellous journey. This is a deep dive into the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe. My name is Matt Waters. I am the second half of that Ben and Matt. I am joined by Ben Phillips. Ben, how are you? It's been a while since we talked about The Leftovers and we're back to Marvel. Are you excited? I am excited. I, I like Marvel. I've talked about Marvel a lot in the last two days. I'll bet you have, but right now, because people aren't going to hear this anytime soon, so that won't make any sense why you've been talking about it. But right now, we're going to be talking about Ant-Man and the Wasp. Heavy task to follow Avengers Infinity War, and also Deadpool 2, which came out between these two films. Uh, a, a less heavy task. But yeah, this was released July 6th, 2018. It is a... I say brisk, 118 minutes, making it one minute longer than the first. It still felt slightly too long when I rewatched it, but it's good if it's going to be a comedy film to be a little bit brisker. I couldn't nail down precise numbers for their budget. We're given the vague range of 162 million to 195 million, which is. I don't don't know what you mean. Like, 30 million (laughs) dollars is nothing. Like. (laughs) Well, that is 30 ish million more than the first one cost. And it brought in 622 million, which, I mean, I say only 100 million dollars more than the first. I think it had a much stronger opening sort of week to weekend, but then it tailed off faster, I guess. I also uh, do have one correction for you, Matthew. What do you have for me? It came out on the 2nd of August in the UK. Uh, oh, I forgot. I've literally got the note in front of me. Yes, this is the very, very rare exception where we normally get these movies a week early, sometimes two weeks early, and then it seems they've now decided, let's just do worldwide releases. This came out a month later in the UK than it did in the US because of the World Cup was the theory I heard. I don't know if they ever... If you look at the list of countries that it came out last in, it's France, Netherlands, (laughs) Germany, and it's just like, yeah, so it's all the World Cup countries, apparently. Right, Apparently okay. our, little feeble, our little feeble European brains can't cope the fact that a movie will open at the same time as some football will go on. Sure, like the World Cup, an enormous, enormous event, takes over many countries while it's on. Even America, who don't really give a shit about soccer slash football, they even get some degree of World Cup fever. But the idea, it's coming home, Matthew. <laughs> football's coming home. The idea, no one's going to go see our movie because there's football on all the time. They, they're never going to see it. We can't release it. That's fucking stupid. But anyway, that's why. All, all the nerds people will go in on a Friday night and watch the movie, which is, I mean, like, sure, there's football on the weekends, but... Look, even if you wanted to watch every match, I'm sure you could find a window to watch this movie if you were even remotely interested in doing so. Anyway, directed again by Peyton Reed, but, you know, he got to direct it from the start this time, rather than take over from someone's, like, half-completed movie. Written by... Right, are you ready? Chris McKenna and Eric Summers, who are the writing team behind uh, both of the MCU Spider-Man films. Paul Rudd, again, has the writing credit. I don't know if he officially got... No, he did. Him, uh, Paul Rudd and Adam McKay got one last time. Andrew Barra and Gabriel Ferrari, who were brought in late on the first movie to help revise it because of the whole, hey, we're just completely changing this film now. Uh, and then unofficially, because those are just your credited writers, we have Peyton Reed himself, Adam McKay, 
who last time he got the full writing credit, him and Paul Rudd together. This time Paul Rudd gets the credit. Adam McKay, I think, was just more, like, there to bounce ideas off. And then, like, a whole bunch of other people who aren't even named. But, like, I feel... I mean, it's a comedy film. I think a lot of comedy films are written by a large number of people. You know, some people just pitching jokes, all this good stuff. Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure like, two of those did the plot part, and yes. then every other credited <laughs> writer was probably more just like, oh, I've got a couple of jokes, and yes. once you hit, like, 5% of the script, then you have to give them a credit. Although, yeah. the rule is three individual credits with up to six names as partners. Yes. Yeah, yes. which is why they, it's almost at maximum writer credits yeah. for this movie. And I think McKenna and Summers are your sort of, like, keeping it in continuity type writers. Paul Rudd is, like, leading the sort of jokes and uh, and is probably, you know, realistically wrote about as much of it as Peyton Reed did. And then Barrow and Ferrari, I think, are just sort of the Ant-Man dudes who were very helpful last time, so they got to do so again. So, in June of 2015, shortly before they released the first film, Peyton Reed said he would like to return because he'd fallen in love with these characters that, you know, he didn't really get to work with for as long as a director normally would when making a movie, so I can see why he'd feel he had, like, unfinished business. Yeah. He had various actors saying they'd like to return. Kevin Feige said they had a really cool idea in mind, had a title... Uh, and a release date was confirmed a few months later. And they got read back very quickly and he got writing straight away. They actually had to move the release dates of both Black Panther and Captain Marvel to make room for this. I think this took Captain Marvel's slot and then that got pushed back. And I think Black Panther got moved to earlier? I'm not sure. I mean, like, it's all weird because obviously yeah. <laughs> the Inhumans cancellation and the yeah. Spider-Man announcement and this yeah. announcement... <laughs> Did Spider-Man take Black Panther's slot and then it moved to February and then this took Captain Marvel's and that moved to this March as of this Which, recording? I think that was supposed to be the Inhuman slot. Sure. God, remember the Inhumans. They briefly considered calling this movie Wasp and the Ant-Man, which I think they should have done. And while they didn't do that, Reed did make a big effort to make sure that these characters got equal marketing, equal merchandise. They put a lot of time into designing her look, her style, thinking about her and everything. Because this is a big deal. Like, you know, Wonder Woman had come out before this, and that's DC's, like big thing to hang the hat on, they were first to the punch with a female-led superhero movie and this huge boom of all these comic book movies and we've got lots of female characters in the MCU, but this was the first time that one got a top billing and unfortunately she is sharing it, it would have been cool if it was Wasp and the Ant-Man, because I mean if you look at the movie, like, she is sort of leading the way here, but hey-ho and then Reed wanted this to be a bit of a romantic comedy, like you have the stuff with Scott and Hope and this sort of lingering relationship and the the focus on like a partnership as opposed to like someone being a sidekick or or whatever he didn't want like mwahaha villains he wanted just sort of varying levels of antagonists and roadblocks uh, he has his various inspirations for this that I won't list but and you can see all of that in the end results now then Ben last time mm. you talked about Hank Pym you talked about Janet Van Dyne I believe you talked about Scott Lang, and I think you also talked about Hope Van Dyne. So, you've sort of exhausted the key cast there, but we do have a couple of people in this movie making their debut that you may want to give us the comic book rundown on. I will mention we do get actual Janet Van Dyne now, rather yes, than do. the ghostly apparition of Janet Van Dyne. The, the the relationship between Janet and Hank is a lot stronger than the comics. There's no beatings in this movie, which is... No. <laughs> Which is for the better. The entire um, reason we've got Scott Lang instead of Hank Pym, to be honest. Yes, yes, it is. So yeah, we get actual Janet Van Dyne. Uh, that's a whole bit of a mess. Obviously, Hope Pym is another version of Wasp. So they've kept true 
to the wasp character. We get two wasps in this movie and two yeah. Ant-Men. So the, the, the wasp is a misnomer, considering the fact that there are two. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> we will, we'll get through that. So the two major additions are, in terms of comic characters, there's a few, as you said, like tertiary Iron Man villains who are kind of like running around at the same time. Sunny. Um, but most likely, we get Bill Foster, who is the second, no, third Goliath. Yep. Third cause Goliath, because Was Hawkeye, Hawkeye the second? Yeah. Hawkeye was the second briefly. Oh, do I even need you anymore? <laughs> I'll do this. <laughs> He'll do this. Yeah, so he was originally Hank Pym's office assistant because he's African-American and obviously in comic books in the 1960s, black person (laughs) could not be. Like you got Ray Palmer in DC being assisted by Ryan, is it Ryan Choi? Yes. Yes. Like, mm mm-hmm, know what I'm saying? So he he initially was Black Goliath. (laughs) I didn't Uh, know he was Black Goliath until last night. Then he took over the role of Giant Man. (laughs) Okay. Because obviously Hank Pym had a bit of an identity crisis. Um, beating women, you know. I think I think I think they have fairly recently diagnosed him with bipolar disorder as well in the comic mm-hmm. books. So that's an interesting term. And then to quote Wikipedia, he later came out of retirement, donning a new costume and known simply as Goliath. In the Civil War storyline, the comic Civil War, not the movie Civil War, mm-hmm. he sided with Captain America's faction of outlaw anti-registration heroes and was killed by a cyborg clone of Thor. I don't remember that scene in Captain America Civil War, the movie, but I'm sure it's somewhere in the deleted scenes if you keep looking for it. Who else do we have <laughs> My, on board? Uh, yeah, we have Ghost, who is <laughs> nothing a, a like... Woman. Obviously. A woman who is not the character from the comics at all, uh, because that character is unknown, it has no gender, and is just an Iron Man character. Uh, who kind has, of... I believe, never had a scene with Ant-Man. Never had a scene with Ant-Man. Uh, Probably it, it has does, now, does... but yeah, yeah before does, this. Does briefly join, does briefly join the Thunderbolts, mm. which, in an interesting twist we've recently had confirmed, was something that James Gunn was working on before he got fired from oh. Guns of Galaxy 3. The internet, I hate you so much. Well, there you go then. Those are our, our big additions. I assume your soliloquy about Agent Wu and 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 Sunny Birch is is gonna f- no. All right, let's just get into no, this no, movie. nothing. Should we? Can we? Can we actually touch on? So this we've taken a year off in between doing. We have. Infinity War and this. Yes. Uh, this movie came out only a few months later. There is a tie-in into Infinity War. Yeah. But a lot has happened mm-hmm. in real-world life related to the MCU in between these two movies. One or two things have happened. James Gunn is gone. Stan Lee is dead. Disney Steve Ditko died. Steve Ditko died. Marvel are buying Fox. Was that rumoured as far back as that? That was, that was rumoured as far back as then, but the deal could go through literally any day now. We could get the notification during this recording. That... Well, by the time people hear this, because I'm planning to release these in the sort of run-up to Endgame, that could be official. So That knows? could be official. There are no movies announced yet, although it does seem like we've got a full slate behind the scenes going um, on there. Well, we have Spider-Man Far From Home coming. We are flying blind. Infinity War was a hell of a deal, and... You know, this was the first movie to exist post that, and as you immediately find out, it takes place before Infinity War, mostly. And all the Netflix shows have been cancelled. Yes, X-Men Dark Phoenix is now just called Dark Phoenix in, like, all advertising. There's no X-Men in that anymore. Um, New Mutants has just vanished. Yep. That's never. That's not a real movie. It's a trailer that ran wild. James Gunn has taken up with DC and he's remaking Suicide Squad. I mean, making a sequel to Suicide Squad. The Suicide Squad. Yes, the. There you go. Never, never a sign of a remake at all. A lot of shit has happened in the real world, but we're we're pretending that it's only two months after Infinity War here or three, whatever it was. So uh, we open this movie with Hank Pym telling Hope about 
how he no longer believes it's impossible to get Janet back from the quantum realm, if you recall that is where she is stuck. We see an extended version of that flashback from the first film. Uh, because Scott, of course, escaped from the quantum realm at the end of the last film, and uh, he unveils two hope blueprints for a quantum tunnel. As Scott will later joke late in the film, they just shove the word quantum in front of everything. And I believe that word is said like 22 times, which is absurd. So Is that, we, is that from IMDb trivia, or is that you counting? That's IMDb trivia. trivia, I'm not counting the word quantum. Uh. Sorry. So, we get Michelle Pfeiffer as Janet Van Dyne. Uh, as you said, we actually see her. It's not a ghostly apparition, it's not someone in a suit. I say someone. Hayley Lovett played her in the suit in the first film, and is her body double in this film, because Peyton Reed allegedly always pictured Michelle Pfeiffer as Janet Van Dyne, and he cast Hayley Lovett because she looks like a young Michelle Pfeiffer. So that's fun. Way back before... We, they... did all, we do also get a young Michelle Pfeiffer with the, the creepy... Yes, the... Uh, Marvel CGI. I, I think it's Lola that do this the effects studio yeah they they de-age michael douglas they de-age michelle pfeiffer it's good i think like it's it is it is really good like yeah. we get three actors who are all obviously famous back in the day for this kind of stuff in this movie uh who get get the treatment um there will be more characters who get this in the next movie we discuss <laughs> yes <laughs> probably even more significantly yes you know it's good but like michael douglas is out of his mind for wanting a hank pym movie where he's like this the whole movie so she's here she allegedly really likes the first film so was very eager to sign up sharon stone was considered uh, michael douglas wanted Catherine zeta jones <laughs> she's very charming in this opening scene where she's playing hide and seek or no she's she's pretending to fall asleep while talking to hope i think that's very charming but ultimately she doesn't have a huge amount of screen time and i feel this is more about attaching a big name like legendary actress to a sort of older role within the movie because how much of an impression does she really make like it's, it's interesting because it feels like michelle pfeiffer's had like a little bit of a comeback recently because yeah. she obviously she was in mother like in 2017 which i'm sure you never watched no uh no i didn't i think you'd hate mother uh she was in mother on the orient express and uh, apparently she's going to be in maleficent as well or the wow. second maleficent is it called maleficent as well that would be a great name for a sequel no uh, it's <laughs> maleficent mistress of evil which is now coming out this year to to carry on disney's box office domination that's coming in 2019 but no michelle pfeiffer like I, I've liked her ever since I saw her in Batman Returns at a far too young age. <laughs> she licks the leather suit, Ben. She's a good Catwoman. Uh, okay. It's nice to see her here. She doesn't get a lot to do at no. all. In fact, I think the probably the biggest extended scene of someone doing Michelle Pfeiffer is Paul Rudd's impression of her. <laughs> well, we'll get to that. They briefly considered having her be... like Because time works differently in the quantum realm. And they were going to have her not aged, but then they decided it's creepy if she's the same age as her daughter, and like, however many years younger than her husband, so they nixed that idea. But it's not creepy for Captain America to be younger. <laughs> hey, and hey. Date, and date Peggy's niece. Do not, oh yeah, well that bit's creepy. I was going to say the whole Peggy thing, but yeah, that bit's creepy. But he's a man, so, you know, privilege. Different, different rules. Yes. Meanwhile, uh, Scott Lang is three days away from completing a two-year house arrest sentence. He's too old for this. Yeah, uh, he's been on house arrest for two years because of the events of Civil War. And we see him spending time with Cassie. He can he lives with Luis, and they have a sort of security business, the, the old gang from the first movie. And, of course, Scott can only sort of consult from home at this point. But he will be joining them in the office soon. And he also engages in his various hobbies. I love that they tied this in with Civil War. That, like, it was briefly mentioned in Infinity War that they, like, 
him and uh, Hawkeye got to go back to their families if they agreed to sort of like, you know, stand down. And we see that Scott is actually on full on house arrest, I guess, because he's next con. But yeah, it was sort of an unexpected piece of carry on consequence from, you know, they, they joked about it in Spider-Man Homecoming that Cap is like a, a, is a war criminal or whatever. But like, yeah, Scott, <laughs> seeing him like actually facing the music for what he did in Germany, I thought it was quite surprising. Yeah, they, they don't they don't often carry through with things like they could have quite easily come back and done. Yeah. He's not under house arrest anymore. He's operating his security business, and there's no comeuppance for yeah. Infinity War. But it, it it does give it. Oh, sorry, Civil War. It does give um a nice bit of tension yeah. because it is it is a threat because the movie does take place in these three days. It's not like he's he's immediately out and about. Like no. the, the threat of the FBI is constantly breathing down their necks for the whole movie and. <laughs> It, it, it does lend it a source of tension in a movie that is very light-hearted and doesn't really have a lot of tension yeah. in it, but it, it, it's welcome and yeah. it's not like the Bifrost just magically reappeared <laughs> between movies. I think they've gotten much better at continuity and consequence and, and things actually not just being swept under rugs. I'm sure there is something really egregious that I've completely forgotten about that's happened recently, but there you go. I am gonna, I'm really nervous about Endgame and how they wrap up <laughs> the end scene of this movie. Yeah. But that's for the that's for the end scene of this movie. Yeah, I'm actually going to break from the format of my notes because you mentioned the FBI breathing down, you know, his neck the whole film. The embodiment of that, we have Randall Park as Agent Wu. On my first watch, I was going to go hard to bat for him getting a nod for our all Marvel performances, and I re- I think I remember you giving a little bit of resistance. On a rewatch, I will not be making that argument. <laughs> he's Randall I, Park. I love, he's great in everything he's ever I in. I love Randall Park. Randall Park at the moment, like it, it. I'm actually kind of sad that of the two stars of Fresh Off the Boat, Constance Wu got to be in groundbreaking rom com with Crazy Rich Asians, and Randall Park gets supporting role in Aquaman. low tier <laughs> <laughs> yeah he gets Ant-Man and the Wasp and Aquaman he's probably more interesting in Aquaman I guess <laughs> for his like I mean, one and a half minutes I mean like I like Randall Park Randall Park's yeah. good he's funny he's got good chemistry the scene at the end where they're debating like going for dinner and stuff like that is <laughs> yeah is, is nice he's 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 comes from a comedy background he's yeah good and he bounces very well off Paul Rudd and like you know the stuff like your daddy went to Germany and drew on the walls with Captain America like I thought that was a good line and just yeah he's got this sort of offbeat energy about him and everything he ever does and you know it's not that the first one wasn't an out and out comedy but it just it, I think it helped establish the tone here that just he's not like vindictive or corrupt he's just like a sort of bumbling agent and like Scott did break the law he's not like unjustly punishing him so yeah I think he's fun uh so you know when I said we, we see him playing with Cassie and everything like I cannot overstate how charming the little cardboard maze and slide and everything that Scott builds is Cassie was one of my favorite things about the first movie unfortunately she is a couple of years older the actress so she's slightly less like adorable but still i love their little bond together and it's i very... I, I think she's really good i think yeah. Rider fortson is is a really good find and mm. she's uh, a very good scene later in the movie i will say yeah I, I i think she's i think she's really good again a lot of a lot of stuff from the first movie that is that was more central in the first movie does kind of get a downplayed role in this one well yeah judy greer and bobby cannavale like i love that they all hug scott together like i like this (laughs) dynamic of like 
still friends kind of thing and, and like no animosity between the two guys i wish there was a lot more of it like they're here and they're they facetime him in the middle and then they're there at the end and it's like oh you couldn't have had like more time with them but they're good repertoire players to come in and just kind of like have yeah. a few fun scenes but yeah. yeah knock out all your scenes in an afternoon probably exactly <laughs> um so paul rudd's many well scott's me- many hobbies we see him doing the close-up magic paul rudd learned this for real and you see him, you know, learning from the online university and doing all these these tricks. We see him drumming away and playing Guitar Hero or something similar. One of my favourite bits, he is crying while reading The Fault in Our Stars, which may be because of David Tennant, because when he was doing press for Jessica Jones, they asked him something like, which Avenger is most likely to read Fault in Our Stars or something, and he said Ant-Man, and he'd probably cry, I think. So <laughs> I like that little bit of uh, weird trivia, so there you go. So, I hope that's real. I hope that's not just like... <laughs> it can't some be nerd, a coincidence. Some nerd on the internet just kind of going like, oh, I think this would happen. It can't be a coincidence. Fault in Our Stars was not a new enough book to just be like the random book they had him read. Like It has to be related. I think. So, Scott has a very strange dream, hallucination, whatever, about Janet. He calls Hank, freaked out, leaves a voicemail, decides against it, snaps his phone in half, like, what a weirdo. The message gets through, so Hope abducts him and brings him to their lab, where we see the nearly complete quantum tunnel from the beginning. The whole giant ant wearing an ankle brace was a little (laughs) bit too much for me, personally. I don't know how you feel about it. That they leave in his place so he doesn't get busted for being out of the house. I mean, I, I like I like the giant ants. It, it gives me flashbacks to um, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. I don't mind the giant ants in general, like working in the lab. But the one like sitting on the sofa, playing like drumming, sitting in the bathtub. I was like, come on. Because they pro- but they they program the ant to be like Scott, and so it's like a, yes. a, a, a an ant with Scott's brain patterns. Oh, very the, funny, but the. Has yeah. to go to the bathroom for two hours, Matt. What's that about? I like that they these two are mad at Scott for getting arrested and compromising their operation, the suit, all this kind of stuff. Like it's a very logical thing that, and like we we sort of get it teased gradually out of hope that like l- later on it's like you didn't ask me and we were like a team. So it's like, hey, dude, what the hell? You went and were a war criminal. So hey, and. I don't know, I kind of, I like the, the relationship between them where it's not fully hostile, like, like unreasonably, like, snipey or whatever, but there's just sort of this friction and frost between them and it, it, you see them thaw to each other and everything. I just think it's really nice, the, the, the relationship throughout, and, like, neither of them defers to the other, really, and, yeah, I, I just think it's well handled, and it was one of Peyton Reed's sort of big aims when making it, and I think they succeeded there. Yeah, I think I think Evangeline Lilly is the person that kind of mm. leveled up the most in this movie. Oh yeah, not only because she got to dump the awful, awful wig. <laughs> yeah, was it a was it a wig or was that just how her hair was at that point? Because I she's back know. to having like her classic lost hair. Yeah, at this point. it was very short. short. I can't imagine it grew out this quickly. But yeah. she get put a wig back on for for one scene in this movie, except mm. during Ant Man, and I was oh, reminded yes. of how terrible the wig is. <laughs> Yes, indeed. Hank's mad at him, Pope's mad at him, but they need him because of this... I like the idea, you know, they powered up the tunnel for the first time and it sort of activated some dormant... We think it's a message, we later find out that she put an antenna in his head, and that's, you know, how this all happened. So they they need him and, and, and whatnot, but I really like here Paul Rudd not knowing what a wardrobe is. When he's saying, it's like a tall dresser, that's a wardrobe. You're like, 
just I, I love how fearless he is to completely embarrass himself on screen in all everything he ever does Paul Rudd like he is an egoless actor I would say and I think that really comes across in these sort of moments because you know he's the bumbling idiot while everyone else around him is smart and competent and I just it's really good I mean he again he's he's really well cast as Scott Lang I yeah. just wish I know like they 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 they, they split the difference between being a superhero movie and being a comedy movie just a bit too much and I'd rather they did something Do you want James Gunn's super? No, I want <laughs> I want something more like a, a, just a straight heist movie without mm. all the random knickknacks from the MCU kind of like thrown in there and stuff like that. I want something that's stripped down and simple and just a chance for these guys to be really funny but yeah. because it's a superhero movie they have to put in Yellow Jacket and Ghost and... Yeah, and I'm not saying any of those parts are bad because I do think this movie is overall better than the first one. It's just, it needs something to elevate it. Yes. His line about how Hope didn't really get the point of hide-and-seek because she always hid in the same place. Very funny. I also think the little Hot Wheels collector's tin with all the shrunken vehicles, that's very cute and also, I think, quite clever. Like, a, a good way to... The number of possibilities that open up when you have the ability to grow and shrink any number of things. Like, we saw it with the tank keychain in the last one and then having this little, like, fleet of vehicles just carried around in this carry case I think is very cool. Can I put my um actually hat on for a second? Sure, go for it. Do you think that these were hot wheel cars that they bought <laughs> and then built the ability to drive them into them or are they real cars that they shrunk? And if they are real cars, how did they afford them? Did they steal them? And mm. also surely because of how the shrinking works, they maintain the same mass yeah. when they're shrunk. Well, we've so already that... seen how all that works in the first film. There's no plot holes there whatsoever. I know. <laughs> if they are all the, if they are all the same mass, then that Hot Wheels case must be stupidly heavy. They've also tried is to... the tank is the tank in there as well? I don't remember. They try and claim that the lab, which we see shrunk down and become like a suitcase on wheels with the handle and everything, they've tried to claim that that was actually built small and then grown. And I'm like, I don't know about that, guys. I would have said it was a real lab that you shrunk and then put a handle on, but hey. I mean, I thought people would get confused if a building just got built and then disappeared. Yeah. Well, so I'm, I'm inclined I'm inclined to believe that. Well, no one bats an eyelid when it does shrink, but hey. So they need one more component to finish the quantum tunnel, So, and for some reason they decide to take Scott with them. Hope goes to meet with Sonny Birch to obtain this last component. The deal goes sideways. She beats down all of his men with her new and improved wasp equipment. The trio are ambushed by Ghost, who steals the lab. So we have Walton Goggins as Sonny Birch. Bit of a waste of Goggins, in my opinion. Um, it's not that he's bad, it's just... He's the secondary villain, and you think as the dapper gentleman he'd get more to do, yeah. but he, he doesn't really. Like, this this could have been, like, a fun Justin Hammer kind of role. But yeah, kind well, of... I was going to say, you get a Justin Hammer vibe about him, which is ironic, because Sonny Birch is an Iron Man villain in the comics. So, yeah. yeah, it feels like it's that, but not quite enough screen time to fully realise that. And I don't know, I'd, I'd like to see... I, I have my thoughts on this. Um, in fact, let's... Let's skip over the hope bit and come back to it, because we also have Hannah John Kamen as Ghost. The father they present her as having in this film, in the comics, is Egghead, who is a villain. And yeah, we have this... I mean, you said that they're genderless. I, I thought that Ghost was meant to be male in the comics. But either way, like, this... Having a, a female villain who is... A, I mean, she's basically the lead villain. That's only the second time after Ragnarok, I believe. And I think this is a definite sign that Ike is gone. <laughs> that she, <laughs> but yeah, and apparently Steven Spielberg recommended her. But my point here is, and talking about Sunny as well, I don't think she's bad. 
at all. I think what they're going for here is actually really good. I just think she is tonally completely out of place because her arc is about being desperate because she's got like days or weeks to live and that she is a victim of this thing that's happened and her powers, you know, they seem cool that she can sort of phase in and out and disappear and be invisible and all this stuff, but they're killing her and literally ripping her apart and she's in chronic pain. And, you know, this idea that she doesn't necessarily have any malice, she's just trying to stay alive. It's good, it's just, this this film is so a comedy that I don't really think there's room for that. And I, I understand the counter-argument would be, you know, to ground this comedy film with something more serious like that and do both. But I think it needed to be Sunny or it needed to be Ghost, because... She doesn't have quite enough scenes for me to say, oh, what a great performance from Hannah John Kamen. And I, he doesn't have enough for me to go, oh, Walton Goggins is great here. And I think I would have potentially just removed Ghost entirely from this movie and done the character or something similar in a different movie. And then let Walton Goggins have far more scenes and just have his little criminal crew, the FBI, and, you know, whoever else you want. But I guess there just is always this need to have a, a villain with powers for them to have fight scenes with. I don't know. That's just that's just my take. I don't know how you feel about that. No, I think I think both of them are good. Yes. And I think she I think the idea of Ghost lends herself very well to some of the cool fight scenes. I think some of the best action beats in this movie are her facing them shrinking. Her her facing them shrinking. I do think they they lend themselves very well to this and it's nice to have like a down-to-earth villain to to bat off. But yeah, like it it, it starts to get overstuffed and not enough time can be put into having Walton Goggins being charming and evil and not enough time can be put into Ghost being sympathetic and villainous at the same time. Yeah. And especially because, like, we'll get to the conclusion of that story <laughs> in its own unique way. But, like, she is trying to kill the main character, or one of the main character's mothers, which, mm. like... It, it's like a step too far. It's not like yeah. oh, I, like it's not like oh, this is a a one time use thing, um, and I need to absorb all this quantum energy from from what I need to go in the ship and go to this particular place to get the quantum energy. Like they could have split the difference and had it be like she's trying to get to a location in there to absorb the energy, but if they do that, then they can't get Janet. Yeah, so it's instead like one it or the is, other. Yeah, yeah. Instead, it's I will I will absorb her. Into, into me, yeah. Or, like I don't, they could have done a more interesting way, which wasn't so yeah. oppressively kind of like I am going to be responsible for killing this person. Yeah. Essentially, you make a good point about those fight scenes. They are very, very cool, and one of the big reasons Hope is the Wasp now. Like we saw the suit teased at the end of the last movie. We knew, we know that she is a better fighter than Scott because she trained him and everything, and it was very cute when he used the move that she used on him at the end, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, she's got the wings, she's got the wrist blasters. It's rad. I am so pleased for Evangeline Lily getting to do this, you know, like, be a full-on superhero and be, like, very clearly, like, cooler than Ant-Man. <laughs> like, I think we were sharing pictures before this movie came out of Evangeline Lilly doing all the workout and stuff like that. Yeah, and yeah. and you, you can tell that Paul Rudd's gone through the whole MCU, we're going to make a funny man fit thing, mm. but Evangeline Lilly is the superhero hero yeah. of this movie. Hey, he got too muscular for the suit they made him, Ben. You will respect that. Did he? Yeah. Did he? Yeah, this was the whole thing. He got too buff and they had to remake the suit because they expected him <laughs> to just turn up as Paul Rudd and he was like, no, I got in shape. <laughs> we, only got, we only got one scene of that in this where he's in the bathroom. Yeah, and I think he's slightly less buff this time. Anyway, I really like the 
the fighting style she has, the throws, the takedowns, and then inc- blending that in with the size changing, where, you know, she'll shrink down and then just come up and do a takedown and then shrink again, like throwing the salt shaker and making it grow and taking that dude out. Like, very cool stuff. That whole kitchen fight and everything in general. It was a very good debut for her, I think, uh, in the suit and just being just so good. And Scott, like, saying, oh, you didn't have wings and wrist blasters when you made my suit, and, and Hank just been like, no, no, I had all that. Just to really hammer home that Scott has always just been the one that is just sort of along for the ride kind of thing. No priority put into him. And Scott, of course, does leap back into action here for the first time as Ant-Man since Civil War. And it doesn't really feel like a huge moment, but that's probably for the best because, to me, this film is far more about hope and establishing her as a new hero than it is about Scott is back, you know? But, I don't know, it just, I felt like maybe that, could have been slightly bigger. I, I'm in I mean, two minds they, about I mean, it. We've got, we've got an issue of that this movie came out in 2018, mm-hmm. and yes, it had been two years since Civil War, but it doesn't it doesn't feel that long because these movies come out so often. It yeah. doesn't feel like we we've been starved for Ant Man <laughs> content. Time. Yeah, I don't know. Like, there's a lot of this stuff where some of these characters go missing for a while. It even happened slightly with Hulk in, in mm. Thor Ragnarok, where it's like, oh, where's Hulk been? And yeah. I mean, it, maybe it works slightly more for Hulk because obviously he missed Civil War, which is the last time all the heroes got together. Yeah. But it had only been two years since we'd last seen him in Age of Ultron. And trying to make it seem like we haven't seen these characters for ages yeah. kind of comes off a little flat when... I mean, especially for people like us, where we're rewatching these movies like quite often and run up to the next one. So it's just like, oh yeah, I've just rewatched Ant Man before we went to see this one. So Hulk, I, I... Hulk, particularly, I feel like it felt like he never went away because of how many times like I'd watched Avengers, and it's not that Hulk was ever lacking in popularity, but I feel he's been like omnipresent throughout the entire MCU and yeah. uh, like the peripheral yeah. media and everything. So yeah, you're I right. mean, like we're, we're heading into the fourth movie with Paul Rudd. Scott Lang, like yeah. in, in a few months, like we, we whereas Evangeline Lily has only been in two movies, yes. and so like so her so her being around is a lot more exciting than Paul Rudd because he has yeah. had he's the scene stealer in in Civil War, mm. and uh, it's I don't it, it's one of the one of the fallible things about building a building a connected universe in a in a world where we're used to franchise movies coming out once every two or three years. So sometimes it doesn't feel like they've been away that long when the gap between Batman sequels is four years. Mm, that's true. You talk about being the scene stealer, I completely forgot to write down. Uh, I like when he's like calling Steve Rogers Cap and Hope is like, I'm sorry, you call him Cap? It's, it's just a nice little beat going back to uh, Civil War. So Hank surmises that his old friend Bill Foster may know something about Ghost because of her phasing abilities, which is apparently a thing that Bill used to work on. They go, off they go to his lab, uh, to his job to go and see him. They have a bit of an awkward confrontation, but he ultimately suggests a way to track it down. Before they go there, we get like a little scene at the, the security company. I like seeing the old crew, uh, T.I. we've got, and that dude whose name I can never remember. Is it Dave Dalmatian? Dal- it Dal- is Dave Dalmatian. Oh, look at me go. Those guys all bickering about the food budget, about the desks, all of that kind of thing. Dave Dalmatian saying Baba Yaga, which will be funny later but yeah just all that stuff so we have Lawrence Fishburne here as Bill Foster one Mike Thomas of the real world and therealworld.com thinks that Lawrence Fishburne was completely sleepwalking through this performance I'm not gonna say you're wrong he's amazing but it wasn't like noticeably bad for me personally I don't know how you feel about it I mean there's not a lot going on here but it's not like I didn't feel he was embarrassing he himself he's better in this than he is as Perry White <laughs> 
Well, speaking of that, like, while currently under contract to DC Films, he said, I've always been a Marvel guy, and he apparently has been <laughs> pitching to Marvel various characters that he could play. And they ended up with this one, so that's pretty good, I think. Also, allegedly, they made him digitally look thinner, which is a sick burn on Lawrence Fishburne. <laughs> Slash a demand he made, I don't know. Um, I mean, he, I mean, he's he's put on a little bit of weight since since 1999. Do you want Do you want to do the plug now? You can hear me and Mike Thomas talk all about Lawrence Fishburne in The Matrix on our podcast series Disguise Court, which is available at EnterTheRealWorld.com and Mike and Matt on SoundCloud. Anyway, Lawrence Fishburne's son, Langston Fishburne, uh, was used to help create the whole... You said that there's three characters that have this youthifying treatment done to them, de-aging treatment, and uh, this is this is the third here, Lawrence Fishburne. We, we later see the scenes with him and Ghost, and yeah, looks... Looks exactly like a young Lawrence Fishburne, so there you go. I don't know why they'd have to use his son, because the fact that, like, it's not like we don't know what young Lawrence Fishburne looked like. This Sorry, is... it's Larry, Larry Fishburne. <laughs> yes. As he used to be credited. Indeed. Like, just, just go look in Boys in the Hood. Like, I feel they've what... done this before, though. They use people, they use someone's relative to help do something like this. I can't remember who I mean, it they was. Did, they, did, they did it with Black Panther, but they just recast oh, him as his yeah, 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 literal yeah. son. Yeah, that's true. I don't know, I just know they did it. The whole dick measuring scene with him and Scott, like, trading stories about how big they've gone as giant men, I thought that was pretty funny. But I think they also gave that away in a trailer, as film studios are wont to do. There's not a lot in this movie <laughs> that you can cut into a trailer. Like, the, the, all the money shots in the trailer are, like, from the scene, from the fight scene in the, um, in the hotel and yeah. from the car chase near the end. That's pretty much all the, like money shot footage that they've got to use really that's true because i mean you'll you'll hear it when i recap the plot over the next few minutes but it's a lot of and then and then and then scott being stuck at toddler height running around cassie's school with hope like mocking him it's cute but it's a pretty pointless five minutes and it feels like jokes leading plot rather than like organic story it feels like someone was just like what if he was stuck at like medium height wouldn't that be funny and they just shoved that in here yeah watching watching that happen again like i liked it the first time it happened because obviously organically we have to introduce the fact that scott's got a, a little bit of a broken suit essentially he still has suit. he still has the old suit that he promised he destroyed and since then hank has upgraded them so they don't have the tech they need to make this tracker and it's he shrunk it and put it inside a trophy that cassie has taken to school there you go that was yeah, that was just... far too many words to get to why they do this joke <laughs> i know and and again it's a joke that that seeds plot yes later but it doesn't seize plot especially well no because it's just it, just it just happens during an action scene later on. It's not like it's yeah. something integral that happens. It's just, oh, Scott's size changer is on the fritz. Yeah. And yeah. this will cause complications every so often, but not when it, we really need it to cause problems. Oh. It's, it's weird. It's weird yeah. and inconsequential, but is amusing, but less amusing on a second watch. Exactly. I, I remember finding this very funny the first time, and this time I was like, why did they do any of this? Oh, well. So they track the lab, and to the surprise of precisely nobody, Bill Foster is revealed to be working with Ghost. <gasps> uh, Ghost captures them. She fills them in on her condition, Hank's part in 
how it all went down or you know tenuous part in it and hank ultimately fakes a heart attack so that they can escape and they take the lab back you will hear me say blah 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 takes the lab about 16 times <laughs> this podcast as much as they say quantum or not quite they've um, run out of infinity stones now <laughs> that infinity happened so the MacGuffin of this movie is the lab slash suitcase yes because it does it does have wheels yes and, and a little suitcase like a little, handle. Yeah, a little, little airplane suitcase. Yeah, I don't know really what to call those, but anyway. The little montage of Ghost being an assassin for S.H.I.E.L.D. is pretty dope. Like, the shaky cam footage and that sort of stuff, I think it's pretty cool. Again, I think this character would be really fun to explore in a movie more sort of fitting. And I think she's actually said she would like it if they if she could reprise this role for a Thunderbolts movie. Now, just because James Gunn is gone, they presumably wouldn't just, like say yeah go off and write a thunderbolts movie if they weren't entertaining making one so maybe they still do it i don't know but yeah I think maybe they know. do or maybe james gunn took his script to dc and that's what the suicide squad is <laughs> yeah okay Which... cool they could they could like for like the characters as we all know all these characters are interchangeable but yeah yeah it's i think the the flashback with her is pretty well done and it helps to and her little chamber where she has to sleep so that she doesn't just disappear i think all that is actually quite well done even if this sort of twist that bill foster is helping her is pretty we only met him 10 minutes ago and it's pretty clear that he was going to be this quote-unquote villain but yeah, I think they do a good job of establishing that she's not an evil finger pyramid of contemplation type character. She is just a victim of a very unfortunate accident whose powers are very much a curse, who has been manipulated, well, yeah, I guess manipulated by, you know, government bodies and everything. And she just wants to fucking live. And I think they, they handle that bit well, even if this Bill Foster reveal is a bit eh. And if, even if we are playing hot potato with the lab. I don't have anything to add. Okay. You've, um, su- you've, summed, you've summed up my thoughts on this stretch of the movie pretty succinctly. Wonderful. Scott FaceTiming Cassie over completely nothing. Pretty fun. You know, again, it feels like they were just like, ah, let's throw a joke in here that has no real implication. But I think my favourite my favorite bit of that is them all, like, wishing him to get well. <laughs> yeah, Because yeah. it feels like such down-to-earth family drama is that, like, <laughs> oh, look, the other family's here, just tell Scott he's <laughs> to get well soon. Yeah. And I do like that Bill isn't such a villain that he's like, I'm not going to let you like FaceTime your daughter. And then, speaking of that, when Ghost says that she wants to go kidnap Cassie and Bill's like, I'm not letting you do that. It's like, okay, this isn't like a complete, why is this? Ma- why is Bill Foster now just a complete evil genius? Like, it's, it's a good moment. Meanwhile, Sonny and his little band of people use truth serum that's not truth serum, but is truth serum to make Luis... You spoiled the joke. I know. That's not that much of a joke. I, 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 yeah, I don't, I don't understand that. The payoff, the payoff to this bit is so flat. Yeah, they want Scott. Scott told Luis where he was because of they've got this impending presentation. That's another time pressure here. While Scott wants to help, he also has a lot riding on this, so you can understand why he did it. It's not like it's not like Star Lord punching Thanos just as they're about to win. So yeah, Sonny learns where Scott is. Ghost also overhears this, and both of these individuals descend upon the lab just as hank pinpoints janet's location in the quantum realm goes steals it hank and hope are arrested so we get the return of the telephone game from the first movie i think a big speculation going into this is are they going to do it again are they going to run this joke into the ground has it going to jump the shark or whatever i think it was very wise of them to only do it once and i also think it was very wise to let paul rudd and evangeline lily play as well (laughs) Um, and allegedly they wanted to have chris evans 
add to his amazing list of cameos, and I w- can only assume it was going to be him like begging Ant-Man to help with Civil War in a very funny manner, but that would have been cool. But they didn't want to make it too Civil War-y, and I judged them for that. But yeah, Paul Rudd potentially. I, 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 think, yeah. I think that would have been a really nice moment, because there's, not, there's nothing else in this movie really to connect to outside of the movie. Like, there's no Falcon cameo, and it would have been nice to have a second... Yeah, I don't think this is as good as either of the ones in the first movie, but, you know, letting other people play too, I think, was a good idea, and it's a nice... You know, you're expecting it, so just do it. And the return of the aforementioned wig... Yes, it's a terrible. And and it's it's nice that there's a different setup for it. Like I don't think I don't think I don't think the true serum thing goes anywhere interesting at all, based on all the jokes they make about it. But I do enjoy that they're just like, oh, you've you've asked him a question now. You just have you've put money in the jukebox. (laughs) You put a quarter in him. You've got to let him finish. (laughs) (laughs) I think Kurt singing the Baba Yaga nursery rhyme was very funny uh, because at first I was like, okay, yeah, Baba Yaga, very good, but. I think him sort of under his breath muttering this in a delirious fashion was pretty good. Woo practicing the close-up magic from the same site that Scott was using I think is pretty good when because Sonny has people in the FBI so basically he gets the authorities to do his work for him. Does all. that character have a name or is it just the, the FBI oh, agent? Oh, I don't know, yeah, because they do that sort of sinister close-up on the dirty agent and it's like, well, nothing ever comes of this, so... Who knows? Sean Clayer plays Stoltz, Birch's FBI inside man, and Jimmy Woo's informant. Well, there you go. I mentioned Hank locates Janet. This is where we get Paul Rudd doing the impression of Michelle Pfeiffer. This is very, very low-hanging fruit. But on the other hand, Paul Rudd is exceptionally good at it. So, shrug, I guess. So I don't think he gets her voice. No, really? I don't think he's he really just trying. Can't... It's just the whole, like no, the whole guy can't... doing impression of girl. That's like such like ugh. But I think he's very good at. I don't know. There's little things about it that are very good. It's 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 the like the I what I appreciate about it is it's the, like the touches of the face and the fact that yes. they're not freaked out that it's Paul Rudd doing it. Yes, they're just kind of like oh my god, this is this is mum. It's the fact that they don't yeah immediately they're, they're not freaking out. Yeah, I think that's what helps it while he's doing the sort of O'Fay like girl voice or whatever. Like yeah, I th- I think them holding his hand and everything and then like sharing the lingering look. I think that's all actually very good. And then. I'm sort of skipping over a lot of plot stuff here because eh, eh but we, this is also the stretch of the movie where we get that scene I said earlier uh, that Cassie is really good in where she she's talking to Scott about having a partner and everything and her being genuinely hurt when he laughs I think is so adorable but it also does lay the groundwork for Cassie in the comics grows up to be a superhero called Stature uh, with the same powers and hasn't someone been cast as Cassie who is an adult for Endgame? There are many rumours, a lot of them Young Avengers related for Endgame, and I'm mm-hmm. not going to get my hopes up for any of them. Yeah, oh man, what if we went through all the time? Oh, Kate Bishop, and oh. One of them, one of them is rumoured to be Kate Bishop, and oh. I cannot get my hopes up too much. What about, um, some, what about some America Chavez? Like, oh, come on. They're not going to go that far. Okay. Uh, <laughs> um, no, uh, yeah, like, I like, this is the first time as well that we get the... Um, Scott has to run home to avoid being yeah. caught by the FBI agents yeah. as well, which is which is why Cassie randomly shows up in the middle of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's just a lot of character runs here, character runs there, and I was like, this plot summary is getting ridiculous. So I've just I know it, 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 it like it, they're just like we have to have a scene in this location. Yeah. What's a reason we can have for them to go here? Because mm. again, like even now, so Scott has to go home to to protect himself from the FBI, but the FBI kidnaps or captures 
Hope and yeah. Hank. And so then for the second time in about 20 minutes, they've been captured by yeah. a different group of people who are trying to go after them. And it's just... Yeah. It's not it's not bad. It's just there's a lot. And yeah. a lot of, like, changing hands and di- different people having one up. And there isn't, like, a status quo that you can latch on to. Maybe some, maybe some time could have been carved out for, for Sunny and Ghost, but who knows. So Scott rescues them from custody, they track down the lab, Hank goes inside, fires up the tunnel, heads into the quantum realm to rescue Janet, while the people outside of the lab, now that it's shrunken down because he's... Like, he can only make it work when it's full size, but as soon as he's in, they can shrink it. So right. So everyone why... plays hot potato with a shrunken lab, basically, across San Francisco. Yeah. Why do they move? As in, why do they, like, as part of the plan, take the lab and run? Yes. So that Ghost can't go back inside and stop him? But, like, why don't they just have some kind of defense against her inside? Because she can just walk through walls, can't she? Kind of? Yeah. It just just feels like, oh, we need... Oh, yeah, it's just like, uh, both of these things should just happen at once, I guess. I think they, from the beginning, wanted to do a... Everybody racing around San Francisco, and what's that that street called? Lombard Street or something? The really windy one that's in all the movies and TV shows, yeah. Including The Room. Yes. Clearly they wanted to do something there, and they do it. So I've sort of done this as two different things. So Hank promising to help Ghost before he... When he gets back, he's like, I'll help her. Like, don't be an idiot. I think that's a nice little thing. Like, he's not just going to be petulant and be like, I'm not helping her. He, he tried to... She tried to do this. The quantum realm is still beautiful. It's still trippy. The water bears, as they're allegedly called. I was like, I've, I wrote down dust mites. And then I looked it up and apparently these are called water bears, these creatures. Tardigrade. Or water bears. Or moss piglets. Jesus Christ. Anyway, those floating past, like, giant sea creatures, I think is pretty cool. They were first described by the German zoologist Johann August Ephraim Goetz in 1773, who gave them the name of Little Water Bears. No one has said that out loud ever in a recording. You also would have said it in German. (laughs) Of course, which you will now do. (laughs) Fuck that. Kleiner Wasser... There. Wow. So <laughs> Hank experiences the weird, like, he's playing hide and seek, and, and adult Scott and Hope are there. That's all kind of like trippy. And like, Janet at first looks like someone out of a slasher movie before she like stabilizes his mind. And then, yeah, we kind of get Michelle Pfeiffer's scene, but I uh, don't really have anything to say about it because it's just like, oh, yeah, here we are all again. And meanwhile, there's a car chase happening outside. I, I, I don't know. Have you got any quantum realm thoughts? I like the water bears. Same. There you go. It takes, me, it takes me back to school. I think there was um back on Wikipedia there was like a picture of the day thing that used to happen. Uh, Wikipedia definitely didn't exist when I was at school. You young <laughs> bastard. You're only like two years old. Than me. I know. <laughs> Maybe it did. I don't know. I certainly had never heard of it. If that is. Um, yeah. So there was like a picture of the day on Wikipedia, and one of them was a water bear, and, I, yeah. and it's always stuck in my mind because it looks fucking horrifying. It does. <laughs> And he's like, oh, they're so cute. And then they try and kill him. Yeah. Anyway, I I think I have more to say about the car chase. So clear inspiration from Bullet, etc, etc, etc. The many famous car chase movies. It's not bad. It's the best action beat in the movie. Yes. Hope shrinking that guy's bike while he's riding on it to make him fall off. Very good. The Hello Kitty Pez dispenser. Very good. Scott growing. What, what, what do you prefer? Do you prefer the Hello Kitty Pez dispenser or the salt? Shaker from earlier in the movie. 
while if I hadn't seen both of them in the trailer, I might I probably would have freaked out <laughs> See, more that, about and, the Hello Kitty and, Pez dispenser. But yeah, and that's where we get to the main issue of this is that so much of this. Oh, I've chase... seen. I saw this whole scene before this movie came out. Pretty much. Yeah, <laughs> like you could just cut it together. It's fun. It goes on probably a bit too long. I think I began to get a little bit bored when Scott has to grow big to stop the car from going. Yeah, and, and just then like, oh, they must using it as a pedal cart and. <laughs> wading out to sea as full-on giant man and... and then but then they also do the stuff where like he he grows big and then you get oh you're on set up in the movie that he gets really tired so he falls over in the water yes. and starts to drown but then he wakes up and he's ready for the final fight scene but apparently he he fell asleep for three days so you'd mm. think that they would have knocked him out i, I don't there's, know. A, there's a lot of things my a big issue with this movie is there's a lot of things that are said as jokes mm-hmm. that seem to contradict the actual action intent yes of the movies which uh, like it can be just like oh it's fine in the moment but mm. if you think about it for a bit too long it begins to get a little bit tedious yes they kiss though that's that's good it is i mean okay, I, I like i like the car chase the car chase is yeah. fun but yeah it, it goes complaint. on for forever yeah in a movie that's a lot shorter than the other movies, there's actually a worrying amount in here that could have been cut down even further. But hey. yeah, especially especially like if you compare it to the chase scene we had in a car car chase in Black Panther. Yeah, very good. Ops. Like the Black Panther car chase, it it got ops. It is only. <laughs> in fact, I'd love to time it and see whether or not those two car chases. I feel are like you the and I. I feel like you and I are the only people that reference that song just by the title Ops and just immediately know what it is and are like <laughs> standing about it. Everyone else is like, huh? Oh, that song. Cool, yeah. And we're just like, yeah, Ops. And so Ops. Like, what? Ops. The best song on the Black Panther album. Maybe. Vince Staples is great. So, Hank and Janet return safely. Janet has magical, wonderful quantum powers now uh, and can stabilize uh, Ghost by touching her. Do you want to just talk uh, about that first? The fucking, the fucking biggest cop out in she this movie. in the quantum realm. I don't care how differently time works. She didn't evolve, fam. It's just the fact that this is this is like your emotional beat of the movie, or this yeah. emotional core of the movie is the fact that she's fighting to live, and oh, will will they kill her or not? And it's just like she came out and then she touched her and she's better. And don't worry, it's fine. Everything works out okay. Yes. I understand that they put in a little bit later on to be like, oh, we have to find more stuff to stabilise her even more. Mm. But the conclusion to the storyline in this movie is that she gets touched in the face and... is No one tried that. Scott frantically races home to avoid being found missing by the FBI. And then his house arrest concludes and the security business does well because this big car chase was on the news and T.I. and Dave Dalmatian took down Sonny's crew at the end. And... With, with truth serum. Yeah, we get, the, we get the one confessions. Of them admits, yeah. One of them admits his truth serum because he's been saying it isn't. Yeah. Hank has their old house, but he puts it in a different location, I guess. And uh, we see Scott, Hope, and Cassie watching drive-in movies on the laptop while shrunk. They're watching them, Matt. They are, which has giant ants in it, right? It does. There you go, there you go. Yeah, I, it all ends very nicely, I suppose, for now. Yeah, that Randall Park scene where he's like, D- did you want to get dinner? Because I am free. Like, I think that is that is pretty good. But yeah, it's just kind of like, and then it's over. And then our big mid-credit scene. I will say an enormous mid-credit scene. One of the like more shocking mid-credit scenes we've ever had. Scott heads back into the Quantum Realm because they need to continue to treat Ghost. 
But then while he's in there, Thanos' finger snap from Infinity War happens, and Hank, Janet, and Hope are all dusted, so he is trapped in the quantum realm as this movie ends. This movie that is comedic and optimistic and just nice ends in this, like, pretty haunting, like, moment, I think, and, like, oh shit, this is, like just before Infinity War, uh, War happened, and this this really took me aback. I mean, you figured it was coming though, right? Yeah, I mean, like, well, like, what, for what some else kind they, of... What else could they have done? They said the they were wanting to avoid, like, just having it shown via TV coverage or whatever, but yeah, they even go as far to say as Ant-Man and the Wasp will return at question mark in the end credits. It's like, oh, shit, man. Like, it really bummed me out that Hope got dusted. I was really... I mean, we'll see how they resolve the dusting, like, if it happens in the middle of the movie or what, but I was really hoping she would get to be shoulder to shoulder with everyone as a Avenger slash superhero in that movie fighting Thanos. And maybe she will be, but I was kind of hoping they would both survive this, but I kind of... I, I get why they've done what they've done. Yeah, I think I think they're they're obviously trying to cut back on trying to cut back on the people who are in Endgame, and they're trying to give their dues to the the characters who've been around for a while who weren't in Infinity War, which is why we're going to get a little bit of a focus on Hawkeye and Ant Man in in Endgame. Uh, yeah, I like I like the post credit scene. It's it's a good yeah. post credit scene. I just feel it's probably going to be one of the more egregious hand wavy. How did Scott get out of this situations? I'm that sure we're we'll have. see it. I'm sh- I'm sure we will see how he got out. I'm really nervous. Especially as there is that potential tease that he is in the past in that little CCTV footage and, like, time works differently there and maybe this is how we unlock time travel. I don't know. We'll see. We will have to see. I'll get into the, like, little addendums that we always do in a moment, but overall, I think this is a more consistent movie than the first one. I'm not tied down by having to have someone else's script be the no, basis that, of their movie. Exactly, that's why it's more consistent. I'm inclined to say it's better. When I came out of seeing it for the first time, I was like, yeah, that's much better. I think the first one might have higher highs but lower lows. So it, I think it comes down to how you want to, how much you want to hold a sin against a movie versus rewarding consistency versus uh, whatever. Like I would put them very close to each other on a ranking. I have I would them next prob- to each other in my ranking. Yeah. I like literally they are what they are like next to each other. Yeah, I think this is a hair better, but I think I think the really good moments in the first one are far more memorable and like they pop a bit better. But then also, there's some terrible stuff in that first film. Yeah, but I have to imagine that a lot of the stuff that's in the movie that's memorable is a lot of the visual effects stuff, which is probably yeah. pre-vised when Edgar Wright was still on the movie. Yeah, but then Luis's scenes and I don't. Oh know. yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot there's a lot of yeah. love a lot of love stuff about that first movie. I but think, there's also Yellow Jacket. And... I think the first one will have. I think it will be remembered more fondly. I think this one. I think this movie is going to be kind of just forgotten that it exists almost over time. I mean, it it suffers from coming out in probably probably yeah. the strongest like 12 month stretch yeah that in, in terms of movies of impact because you're going from black panther to infinity war to deadpool Ant-Man 2 and the wasp <laughs> ant-man and the wasp and then you're following <laughs> it up with captain marvel in in this march and like, obviously that's a little bit more than 12 12 months but it's still a chunk of movies that are all going to be fairly definitive in statements of the mcu oh, and yeah. then there's this fun throwaway comedy movie in the yeah. middle there so, cameos, we have Stan Lee as a man whose car gets shrunk, and he says, you know, I'm paying for what happened in the 60s, etc. You know, not, ro- not, one, not one of my favourite cameos. No, I think, so. Stan was very anti-drugs. This is not cool, guys. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a, it's a weird one. Michael Cerveris? From Fringe. Yeah, there you go. He plays Egghead, Elias Star. 
Ghost's father in this movie. Rian Steele plays Catherine Starr, the mother. Tim Heidecker of Tim and Eric fame is the boat captain. If you look at the deleted scenes and stuff for this movie, he has some funny little moments, but, you know, you would be forgiven for not even knowing he was present in this movie. And Brian Husky plays the teacher that is, like, yelling at a tiny Scott in the school. Good stuff there. So, our normal little games we play. I completely forgot what these were called when I was plugging the return of this podcast recently. But I have now remembered. Good third act, bad third act. Oh, I've forgotten what order we do them in, so this is now... It doesn't matter. So, good third act, bad third act. I don't think this this lets the movie down. Like, when we established this, it wasn't about saying, is the third act good or bad? It's more about a common pitfall of Marvel movies was the first two thirds were good and then it all just got really boring and generic. I don't think that happens here. It's just they gave it all away in the trailer and yeah, I think I, the I, film I, flows pretty well. Yeah, I, I, it feels like... I was, I was trying to figure out when the, the third act starts and it's kind I of like the I think it's the car chase and the... It's, the... it's the car chase and the car chase goes on a bit too long and there's some yeah. dumb stuff in there but it's also where the best stuff of the movie is Yeah, in a lot of ways. So it's like, yeah. <laughs> it's not it's a banger not... but it's not letting the film down. No, so, I, didn't, I didn't come away from it thinking this is awful. It's not like, I mean, and again, I don't think the, the third act is the worst part of Black Panther, but no. it's not the best bit. Of Black but Panther, it is getting close to doing that, but it doesn't quite. So by our rules, this is a good third act. Villain Watch. So like I said, I think Ghost and Sonny are both sort of hurt by each other, but neither of them are like bad. It's not like a lol, that villain kind of thing. Like Neither of them are Yellow Jacket. Neither, neither of them are Yellow Jacket. There is room for a cool ghost story. Ghost, sorry. <laughs> I wish I wish Sonny had done more. I wish they picked a lane and, and stuck to it. Yeah, I, lo- I mean, I love Walton Goggins. Walton Goggins is one of the best villains on one of the best TV shows the last 10 years. Hmm. Uh, I mean, H- Hannah John Carmen. I, I, I've had the weird moment both times when I've watched it where I've gone like, why do I recognise you? Game of Thrones, baby. It's not Game of Thrones. Black it's not Mirror, baby. It's not Black Mirror either. Two is episodes she, of Black Mirror. Is she, is she a Sand Snake? No. Or Nella? Yeah. So is she a Sand Snake? The Sand Snake's a Tayen O'Bara. She's a Sand Snake. And... Oh no, sorry. She is, she's no, a she's member not. of the Dosh, Josh Kaleen who befriends Dan- Daenerys Targaryen. There you go. She's one of the top, the... No, one because the... Colleen Wing was a sand snake, and then she got time to come over and be the new Iron Fist. And I love Iron Fist, Ben. Let's talk about Iron <laughs> Fist. Let's talk about the all-Marvel list. So, this has all gotten very hazy in my head. So, we did 20 episodes. We, we took the 18 movies. That, yes. And we did one from each movie. If we don't think anyone was good enough in that movie, we bank a performance... If we think someone does a better job in a later movie, we basically free up a slot. We got to 18, and then we picked one each extra on top of all of these, and we got our list, which is available at entertherealworld.com. I will try and plug that in the... I'll try and link that in the description for this podcast. And then Infinity War happened, and I think we put forward Josh Brolin, but didn't officially... We haven't officially decided, but I think we're going to get 225 performers before this new batch of podcasts is done. So Yeah, because because we're currently at a point in the MCU where there is nothing announced past Spider-Man. No. There is a very strong possibility that there won't be a, a Marvel movie next May. That would be bonkers if they if they didn't have a movie, but but, it but might be not, good. There, there isn't a Guardians of the Galaxy movie in production. There's rumblings that uh, Black Widow and Eternals will hit production before the end of this year. But, but they would be very hard-pressed to get them ready for next year. Like, one of them might be ready for next November, but there's no way they have a movie ready that hasn't. No. Unless they've just been secretly filming a movie 
And I mean, like, I mean, they might be previous working on Black Widow or something like that. Like, Black Widow could be really, really cheap and come out, and but I don't see Black Widow as being a main movie. So, we're basically cutting ourselves off. Yes. I mean, we're, we're even at the point where we don't know whether or not Spider-Man's going to get moved into Phase 3 like Ant-Man well, got moved into Phase 2. Sure. So, Josh Brolin, I think we put forward for Infinity War. You had a strong argument about, and I agree with you, that Zoe Saldana. We previously put the entire Guardians cast in for Guardians 1, but then we're like, but Zoe Saldana is so individually good in Infinity War, and I agree with you. And looking at this movie, Randall Park, on my first watch, as I said, I wanted him in here. I now no longer want that. I would have loved for Evangeline Lilly to have had just a smidge more to do so that she could get in. I think Hannah John Kerman had almost a really good story there. I would have loved for her to. Paul Rudd is always great, and we didn't nominate him for the first film. But again, no. I Is Michael Pena better here? No. I, I don't think he is. So I propose we say nobody for this movie, and we give Zoe Saldana the 22nd oh. slot if Brolin gets the 21st. And Brolin obviously gets 21st. I think that's pretty... Well, we don't have to decide right now, but I, I vote no. we say nobody from this. I'm, so I, I'm going I'm to say either we do Evangeline Lilly or we do no one. And if you're leaning no one, then we're going to say no one for now. I think she's great. I don't think she is, like, <sighs> one of the all-time great Marvel performances. I think if you look at everyone else on that list, I think it's difficult to say she's... I mean, you can yeah, swap your of... Hawkeye pick for eventually Lily I could, if you I want. I could swap my Hawkeye pick at the end of the day. So we, we do have that option as well. But I'm also going to pause on the Zoe Sardania just to see... We'll see what happens how in Endgame. Endgame. How Endgame plays out. Yeah, so for right now, we'll just say nobody and we have a spare one. We have and a spare we'll one. See Josh what Brolin happens. is in, though. Yes, Josh Brolin is in. I mean, Love how it. could he not be? So good. So there you go, Ant-Man and the Wasp. We did it. I think we probably talked about it for as long as the... You could probably watch the entire movie while listening to us talk about it, to be honest. I don't know what the final edit time is going to be on this. Uh, I mean, the rec- oh God, the recording time is one hour, 58 minutes. <laughs> That's far no, so longer no, no, than that. No, it's not. No, the call time is an hour and 20 minutes, so we're 40 minutes less than the movie. Okay, I normally take about 10 to 15 to 20 minutes off in an edit. I, we'll see. I'll try and make it exactly the length and see if that's possible. Anyway, we will be back next time to discuss Captain Marvel, and I'm very much looking forward to that recording. In the meantime, go to entertherealworld.com. Depending on how everything lines up with timelines, there should be several episodes, if not all of the episodes of The Wheel Breakers, me and Mike Thomas's Game of Thrones podcast available. You should listen to that. We have tried hard. Not to say we don't normally, but you've heard the first winners potentially, and we did not that time. Superhero Pantheon is now at entertherealworld.com. We did a preview episode of Infinity War last year with those guys. We will probably do something similar for Endgame. Go to entertherealworld.com and find out about all of that. And until next time, this has been Ben and Matt's Marvelous Journey. Thank you, Ben. Thank you, Matt. 